Hey guys, welcome to this episode of So What Else. I'm Caitlin, your host. So What Else is a story-based podcast about our shared human experience. So today we have on Nicole Zazowski to share her story. Nicole is a licensed family and marriage therapist, writer, and speaker. We chat today about her book, What If It's Wonderful? And I really, guys, like I just cannot express enough. I told her in this interview that reading her book in preparation for, for this interview was really, really timely for me. And I just got so much out of it. I was really impacted by it. I was so excited to talk to her. Um, I thought our interview was just amazing. And I am really excited for all of you to hear it. Okay, so What If It's Wonderful is a book about celebration being a practice in our lives and how Nicole kind of came to that realization after a lot of years of just really deep struggle in her life through miscarriages, transition, just a lot of hardship. Listen, if you hear this interview and you want to read this book and you are thinking, I don't have time to actually read a book, guess what? It is available on Audible. You can listen to it as you do carpool or you drive to work or whatever it is that you are doing, okay? So you can go to audibletrial.com slash S-W-E, audibletrial.com slash SWE, and you can get a free trial and a free audiobook and then you could listen to Nicole's book what if it's wonderful okay enjoy this episode you guys Nicole welcome to so what else thanks so much for coming on Oh my gosh, this is going to be so fun. I'm so excited to be here. I am really, really excited. I'm kind of like fangirling because I'm in the middle Ah. of your book right now. Like usually I like to be totally done with the person's book before I get on the interview, but it's been nuts around here. Like I've been reading a lot of things for a lot of different interviews. So I'm halfway through your book. And it's funny because my husband is always like, you need to learn to skim. Like if you're going to be doing all these (laughs) interviews and you want to like read all their books before you get on the interview, like you need to learn how to skim. And so then I tell myself I'm going to skim, but I, I can't, I don't know how to do that. Uh And also like I got sucked in, like, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't want to skip the rest of this chapter. I want to read the whole thing. I take that as a compliment. Thank you. I really, I love it. I feel like I, I love your stories that you share in it. I love just everything, honestly. And I have so many things that I want to ask you and talk to you about. But before we jump into that, why don't you just introduce yourself to everybody? Sure. I am a marriage and family therapist. I practice in Greenwich, Connecticut, just outside New York City. Um, and sometimes I get to travel to different spots around the country and speak to different groups of people doing that. Um, and I live in a tiny Connecticut coastal town uh, with my husband and three young kids. And I've written two books. The first is called From Lost to Found. And the one we're going to talk about today just recently released. It's called What If It's Wonderful? Awesome. And so you're in Connecticut. So I'm in Jersey. So I'm like, I'm like maybe an hour outside of New York City. Okay. You're just on the other side. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So not too bad. But I know that you're not originally from here, right? No, no. I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, Seattle. Wow. um, And then did my college grad school years in the Los Angeles area and got a very surprise move to Connecticut right after I graduated. So was it a um, rough like transition? That's like a big move. It was a big move. It was really hard. 
um, in the best way. And what, what I mean is it, it really held up the mirror to how I had placed a lot of my security and value as a person in things I couldn't bring with me. Mm. Um, so being in an environment where all of a sudden nobody knew me, yeah. nobody cared what I had accomplished prior to the move. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, nobody was particularly impressed by my resume or all these things that, you know, performance perfectionism that, mm. that really I had invested my value and in, in sense of safety. in. so it was, God was so gracious to pry my fingers off of um, things that, you know, gifts that I tried to find more joy in than they were meant to give. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's so true. Like there's nothing that can really like expose yeah. <laughs> like your stuff than like having children and making a move where you don't have any support. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it all comes out. Mm-hmm, for sure. And so it's the best thing that ever happened to me in many ways, but culturally speaking, is it, and it's still tough. I've been here oh, almost yeah. 11 years and uh, there's still things that I find really hard, but I just see it as an invitation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I get that. I'm from New Jersey, like my whole life. Okay. My husband's from Colorado. So okay. we live out here now, you know, and for him, it's like, culture shock. Like it's been culture shock. We've been back for what, six, seven years. And he's still having things where he's like, wow, it's so weird that people do things like this out here. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Like, no, you still have those moments. And, and yet, you know, the human experience is the human experience and what we might look like or how we might interact with the world is, is just the tip of the iceberg. Totally. Totally. So Look, I'm going to try to refrain from making this hour like a therapy session for myself. <laughs> do people do that to you all the time? They're like, oh, you're a therapist? Well, you know, while I have you here, can I ask you about like this childhood memory that I have? And you're like, hello. <laughs> I love it. However you want to use the, the time is great with me. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so you recently came out with your book, What If It's Wonderful?, and I, I mean this, I had a whole conversation with my husband last night about your book because I was telling him how I feel like since I've started this podcast, you know, I will reach out to people all the time and, you know, to come on or, you know, about whether it be about a book or, or whatever. And it's like some people respond, some people don't. Sometimes it takes months to schedule somebody. Sometimes it happens quickly. Yeah. And like, I really started to see that I really think that like, God has allowed me to schedule interviews with people at a time when I exactly need it. And I was like wow. telling my husband, like, I was like, I'm reading this book that I got to prep for an interview. Like I didn't like get it. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't sure. thinking I need this in my life. Like I got it to prep for this interview. And I, as sure. I'm reading it, I'm like, well, I really need this in my life. Goodness Aww. gracious. Like, you know what I mean? I like I'm that. like, I've, I've like had so many moments of like aha moments and just like feeling convicted and just like realizing things. And I'm like, I really think it's funny because it's like you start a podcast or something because you think, oh, like these stories that, that we share here will help people. But really, mm-hmm. like I've noticed, I feel like <laughs> my podcast is like for me, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like those conversations are conversations that I need to be having right now in my life, you know? Mm-hmm. So I just want to thank you for your work. Aww. It's amazing. 
Oh, I love it so much. I'm so pleased that you're getting a lot out of it. Yeah, no, for sure. So the interesting thing is your book, it's about celebration and like the cover (laughs) is so adorable. There's like confetti all over it. It's like, it's like a happy, it like such a happy book. Right. Mm -hmm. But I know that what brought you to the place of writing this book was not a happy journey. It's Mm. not like you were like skipping through the daffodils and decided to write (laughs) like a book about joy and celebration. Like you were going through a really painful time. So, you know, we are, So What Else is mostly a story-based podcast. So I'd love to start with you just sharing a little bit about your story Mm -hmm. with us and just kind of share a little bit about those years um, of pain that you went through that kind of led you to this message. Sure. So um, people see confetti on the cover and they assume that I wrote this book because I have a lot to say about joy and celebration comes really naturally to me. Um, and hopefully that's true now that I've written and and lived the words on those pages. But um, this book was actually, like you said, much more born out of a season that could largely be characterized by change and loss that was Mm -hmm. kicked off by the move that we just talked about. And Mm -hmm. uh, my husband and I discovered a medical diagnosis that um, basically means that when I get pregnant, I have a 60% chance of losing that baby to miscarriage. Mm -hmm. Um, And and knowing that, um, you know, I'm very aware that there's also pain in having no answers when it comes to infertility and, and pregnancy loss. Um, but knowing that also, uh, was really hard to wrestle with hope and is hope even a good idea? And Mm -hmm. is it better just to not get my hopes up and prepare for the worst case scenario? Um, and when you go through a loss, uh, whether that loss is a loss of a loved one or a betrayal or just a season that turned out really differently than you hoped or thought it would. Mm -hmm. There's the loss itself. There's what happened. And then there's the cost. Mm -hmm. And the cost is the impact to our identity and our sense of safety. And what took me a really long time to realize is that part of the cost of my own painful season was that when I did start encountering more joy, more breakthrough, more good news in our story, I noticed that my joy was accompanied by a lot of fear Mm -hmm. and it felt easier not to hold the joy at all than to hold something that might break. And I was really grieved when I woke up one morning in the last few years and realized that, yes, I have been through some substantial losses, but a lot of the loss I've experienced is because been my refusal to fully engage with the joy and the life that's right in front of me. Um, And so I thought, I don't want to miss out on my beautiful God-given life because Mm -hmm. I am so busy preparing for the worst. And that sent me into a deep dive of understanding joy, understanding celebration from a neuroscience perspective um, Mm -hmm. and and also a a scriptural perspective and looking at my own story and the stories of my clients and friends and family um, to understand the the vulnerability of joy and how we can practice celebration. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember um, reading in your book that you said that, you know, as you guys were trying to get pregnant and you were dealing with like loss after loss after loss. And it was like heartbreaking. And you said that every time, you know, 
that you would think, oh, maybe I'm pregnant this time or whatever, you would feel like, I believe that God could, like, I believed that Mm -hmm. God could, but I just wondered if he would. Mm -hmm. And I stopped and I was just like, oh my gosh. I mean, like, that's my whole life. You know, like, I just feel like everything. I'm always like, do I believe that God could, with a snap of his fingers, fix this situation or heal this situation or whatever? Totally. Do I believe that he really will? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I think um, what was so interesting, one thing I learned is uh, pessimism and cynicism. We tend to Mm -hmm. use those interchangeably. Um, but the distinction was interesting to me that cynicism actually doubts people's motives. Mm. Um, whereas pessimism is more circumstantial. Like we don't think anything good is going to happen or we're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm -hmm. And I was so cynical about, you know, I know that God is capable. I'm not doubting his power and, Um, his ability to move in our lives. And I would believe that he's going to do that for somebody else. Mm -hmm. I just don't think he's going to do that for me. And that was a a strange form of control, a fancy Mm -hmm. form of control in trying to manage the vulnerability of hope and joy. Mm -hmm. Like maybe if I don't believe he will, I'll only be pleasantly surprised um, (laughs) if he does. Totally. And, you know, the research is really clear that that does not protect us from pain at all. Mm -hmm. Um, It just protects us from a lot of joy and delight and hope in the meantime. Yeah, totally. Like I was really struck by that pessimism thing in the book too, because I love how you said in there that a lot of times we um, describe pessimism as like a personality trait, like, I was born pessimistic. Like, this is just who I am. And you were like, actually, it's like an area of growth. Like, if you're Mm -hmm. like a consistently pessimistic person, like, that's something you can work on. And I was Mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, that's so true. Like, how many times do we just say things like, I don't know, I just tend to be a glass half empty kind of person. Like, that's just like, that's how God made me. And it's like, well, you can work on that. Like, you know what I mean? But I was so there with you, like when you were describing in the book, like when you finally were pregnant with your first son Mm -hmm. and you were like there in the ultrasound room and they were like, oh my goodness, we have a heartbeat. And (laughs) your husband's like overjoyed. And like, everyone's like, oh, finally. like, oh my god, And you were like, like you were happy, but you were (laughs) like, uh, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if I totally believe this. And you were Mm -hmm. trying to like, protect yourself. So mm-hmm. like, what would you say to somebody who's, who's listening to this and they're thinking, well, like that's responsible. Like, you know, when she mm-hmm. hears the heartbeat for the first time, she shouldn't just assume that that means that nine months mm-hmm. from now, she's going to have a perfectly healthy baby. Cause it doesn't mean that like she could still lose the baby. Like this could happen. Mm-hmm. That could happen. That, like, and so that's actually like responsible of her to, to be realistic. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. how, what do you say to that? Yeah, no, um, it's, it's an aspect of the book I haven't gotten to talk about a lot about. Um, so I'm glad you brought up this, this notion, uh, or this myth of personality, mm-hmm. that a lot of what we love to call personality is actually reactivity. Um, yeah. and it's one of my, I love personality tests and, uh, you know, I think it's 
informing and, and a helpful tool. I think some people can dive too deeply into it and assume that this is just who I am and not see it as an opportunity for growth. And we love to kind of coin pessimism as I'm just a realist. Um, yeah. And to your point, and, and what I am advocating for is not ignoring the facts, like everything you just said Mm -hmm. with regards to my story is absolutely true. I have more of a chance, statistically speaking, of losing that baby to miscarriage than I do of getting to meet that baby this side of heaven. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but I will not be helped. And the research is clear about this. If I practice disappointment and rehearse disaster, I will be no more prepared for that pain if it should come than I would if I was grateful for where we are mm-hmm. um, and, and thankful for where we are um, and celebrate how far we've come and celebrate that there is life growing in me at this moment. Um, then, you know, that is that is actually the more responsible choice. It's more connecting in my relationships. Um, It will bring me more peace and joy. And it will actually probably prepare me better uh, for heartache than if I had just been waiting for the heartache the whole time. Mm. That's so good. That's so (laughs) good. I mean, it's like, I feel like I don't know that everyone, you know, goes to that. Like, I think my husband's not, doesn't necessarily like default to that, but like I do in almost like in so many situations, I default to that. Like, well, I'm excited, but there's like, you know, a really high chance that this isn't actually going to work out. So I I, I don't, I don't want to let myself get too happy. And it's like, you think that that's smart in that moment. Like I'm preparing myself. But like you said, if you rehearse, how did you say, if you rehearse despair, it's not, Mm -hmm. You're just robbing today of joy. It's, You're not preparing yourself for, or well, you you are not lessening the pain should that thing that you fear actually happen. Mm-hmm. And that's a big if. Yes. Um, I would say my scenario is extreme for a lot of our what if cases. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the, the thing that we fear usually doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it does, we deal with it at that point, And we are not helped at all by rehearsing that scenario leading up to. It's so good. It's so true. Like we think that we're helping ourselves later by being upset about it today. We mm-hmm. think it's going to help us later. And it's like, like you even said, you know, as a Christian, obviously, like you think about it, like, look, if the, if the horrible thing happens, like the Lord's going to meet you there, but even also just the research shows that mm-hmm. like neurologically speaking, that's not helping you. You know what exactly. I mean? So exactly. it's just so like, I was just so, so struck by mm-hmm. that. So I know that, um, you also talked about in the book that when life feels unsafe, we go into like self-preservation mode. Mm-hmm. What, like, what does that mean exactly? Like, what are examples of that? Like, I remember you mentioned, like, we tend to like numb out or, and, and like mm. things like that. Yeah. When um, we experience pain, either um, pain having to do with our sense of identity, like not good enough or worthless or anything about who we are, 
or when we experience pain around our safety, like you just mentioned, where we might feel alone or abandoned or um, powerless. Um, we tend to cope with that pain in one, two, three, or all four of four ways. Um, blame, shame, control, and escape. Okay. Uh, and that's based on a, a model I use in my therapy practice called restoration therapy. Um, and there's lots of specific behaviors in each of those four buckets, but those are kind of the main broad categories of ways we tend to protect ourselves that are mm -hmm. totally understandable and maybe even needed uh, as a child, mm -hmm. but not helpful um, mm -hmm. as adults and, and not helpful to our healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So you then in your story, like you said, you dealt with a lot of losses and, you know, then you finally had this pregnancy that, you know, you were praying was going to stick, but you weren't sure. And then your book is about celebrating. It's about mm -hmm. celebration. So what does this look like for someone who's like in the midst of suffering? Yeah. How can you celebrate when you are not feeling celebratory? <laughs> like when you mm -hmm. are really in the midst of something hard and not, not, like, like something genuinely, truly hard, you know, like you were going through, how can you celebrate when you're dealing with something like that? Yeah, no, I think it's an essential question I've even wrestled with since the book released of yeah. what does it look like to celebrate when we can't rejoice? Because obviously not all seasons in our life or moments in our lives naturally bid us to celebrate. And to begin, I think we've narrowed our view of celebration so much to be either a reward for an accomplishment or reaction to good news. Mm -hmm. um, and certainly some of our celebrations do look like that. Uh, but I know for me, when I defined it like that, I always saw my joy sitting on the other side of a dream realized or a goal achieved or some sort of change Mm -hmm. in my circumstances. And what my research in both scripture and uh, the neuroscience studies revealed to me was that celebration is actually not just a reward or a reaction, but more of a rhythm mm -hmm. that we can practice that helps us cultivate joy in the life that we are already living. And in the midst of suffering, um, sometimes that looks like remembrance. I know for me as a person of, of faith, remembering how God has been faithful to me up to this point, mm -hmm. uh, remembering who he is, you know, it's really fun to celebrate change in our circumstances, but sometimes I just celebrate a God who doesn't change in the midst of yeah. um, life feeling so unpredictable and uncertain. Um, even if I'm confused as to why life is turning out a certain way or a situation is not panning out as I had hoped. And so it, it can look really quiet and, and rhythmic. Um, and actually the practices I outline in the last section, the last third of the book, what was really important to me in choosing the practices around celebration that I include, because I wanted to give people tools mm -hmm. um, to, to implement this in their lives, I wanted them to be doable, mm -hmm. uh, so simple, accessible in your everyday life, mm -hmm. and I wanted them to be available to everyone, mm -hmm. regardless of what kind of season 
someone is living. Mm-hmm. Um, so if if you are thinking, well, sounds like a great book, but I am not in a season of celebration. Let me just tell you, and this is not a sales pitch, all the more reason to pick this up. These yeah. are rhythms that help us stay more connected and more peaceful and joyful in the midst of whatever season we might be walking. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Would you outline some of those for us? I know like my favorite one, because I heard you say it in an interview, is savoring. And I practiced it yesterday and it like loved it. I loved it. Would yeah. you tell us about savoring and some of those? Sure. So that's my favorite one too. Yes. Um, I think it's a great on-ramp and and a good um, counter practice to what's naturally going on in the mm-hmm. brain. Um, cause left on neutral, our brain leans negative. Yeah. There's a few different reasons for that, that we can talk about in a minute, but, uh, the practice of savoring, you just take one small moment. So, um, for me, some examples might be that moment before I lay my daughter down to sleep in her crib and I'm holding her, um, or I watch uh, the way the sun catches my son's blonde hair as he plays in the backyard, you know, one snapshot. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just ask your five traditional senses what they're going to remember about that moment. Mm-hmm. So what do you see? What do you hear? What do you smell? What do you taste? And what do you feel? And that captures that moment that your brain would be tempted to dismiss as unimportant. Yeah. Celebrates it, carries it forward in a way that you can recall it later. Mm -hmm. Um, And that extracts more joy from that moment um, than if you had simply let it pass because I'll just dive into what's going on in the brain. Yeah, and yeah, please do. Helpful. Um, a lot is going on in the brain, uh, but a few main dynamics that were really interesting to me in terms of the brain's uh, tendency toward negativity. Uh, the first is a hedonic treadmill, which basically means our brains rapidly adapt to joy. So when you receive the gift or news that you thought would make you want for nothing else, um, the, the glitter on that moment quickly fades off and flakes off and, uh, it fades into the background of our everyday lives. Um, the second is our brains are just stickier with painful information. Mm-hmm. So what that means practically is that those moments that I'm encouraging you to savor are not moments that your brain thinks are important. Right. So those everyday moments of delight, joy, connection with loved ones, a great conversation, your brain's efficient. It's only going to pick up what it thinks it needs. (laughs) And so uh, those moments do not make the cut. And so in order to keep those moments, enjoy those moments, and, and keep them as memories, we have to we have to practice things like savoring. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third thing I thought was so interesting is we have this awful habit as human beings of telling our joy how it can be improved upon. Mm. So say you are giving a presentation mm-hmm. and you feel really good about your content and delivery. You can tell you're connecting with the audience. Maybe you get a few compliments on your way back to your seat. You sit down and you feel so satisfied and you think, 
oh, it would have been better if I used that story. Mm-hmm. Or they said I was a good speaker. They didn't say I was a great speaker. You know, we tell our joy yes. what we made it better. And so I say all that because without intentional practice, like savoring, our brains are going to naturally go toward negativity. The only thing we need to do to be negative is nothing. Mm. Um, so yeah. it, it requires these practices to extract more joy from the life you're already living. And you don't need your circumstances to change, to celebrate. Um, it's about celebrating the life you have. I love that so, so much. Cause that I am like, oh my goodness, I'm so guilty of that. And so like yesterday, <laughs> you know, I was conscious of this, you know, yesterday was just like a normal day. It like, wasn't horrible. It wasn't great. It was whatever, you know, stay at home mom life can be amazing and beautiful. And then it can also be like, I don't even know like what day it is. Like I don't mundane. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so yesterday I was like really, really thinking through this a lot and my kids were outside playing Mm -hmm. and they were in this like ridiculously over the top Cinderella carriage thing that my mother-in-law got for them, which is like hysterical, but like ridiculous. Uh And they're just like cruising down the street in it. And they're like looking over their shoulder. And it was just like funny. Like it, nothing insane happened, but I was just like, this is so funny. Like, you know, fast forward, I'm going to blink and they're going to be like actually driving. You know what I mean? And I was like, this is so funny. They're just like cruising down the street in this like Cinderella carriage that looks so ridiculous. And I was like, I want to remember this. You know, mm-hmm. like I was like, this is the thing. This is what she's talking about. Like, yes. this is not like an over-the-top amazing thing. Like, it's not no. like someone drove up with like a check. You know what I right. mean? Like for us, right. they're like, we just won the lottery. Like, right. it's just like my kids are just like playing with their stupid thing. Like, it's not that mm-hmm. big of a deal. But it is a big deal. Like, if I make it so. Like, if I tell my brain, like, this is a joyful moment and I want to remember it. And so, mm-hmm. like, I pra- I went through my five senses and I was like, I want to remember this, you know? And it's like... I felt like I, it immediately improved my mood, you know, mm-hmm. like I just felt like this is important. This is the stuff that I'm going to look back on, you know, like, w- like years from now and be like, gosh, I just like let the days go by and I didn't savor them. And I'm like, I want to do that, you know? And yeah. I think that that's just so important. Um, I also love what you said though, about how we're always trying to improve upon our joy. Mm-hmm. I do that. Like I can't, ever. I feel like I can't ever just like take a moment for what it is. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, people are like, that was amazing. And I'm like, thanks, but I should have blah, you know? And, um, it reminds me of that scene in your book that you describe. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is me. You talked about how you like gave a huge like presentation and it was like a big moment for your career. Yeah. And you get back to your seat after and you thought like, this is it. Like exclamation Mm -hmm. point. Like how exciting, like I've arrived, like this is it. And at the same exact moment you thought, this is it. Yeah. Like this. Yeah. And I was like, oh man, would you tell us a little bit about that? The whole, this is it. Sure. No, I was asked to present at a therapy conference and I was not only asked to present, I was asked to do a live session, um, which this is not scripted. This is like a live demonstration, um, you know, demonstrating some of the skills that we were trying to learn about and practice at this conference. And, you know, I don't know if this person is going to cooperate with what I'm trying to do or, so it's literally like a live therapy session. Like you don't know who this person is. You don't want, you don't know what they're going to say. 
and you're doing therapy. Yeah. I have some very general facts about who they are and what they might like to talk about ahead of time, but like three or four main things, not here's their story. And then you're going to say this and I'm going to say this. Right, right, right. um, So basically a nightmare for someone who loves to feel prepared. Um, I guess <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know what's coming my way. So, totally. um, you know, I, but nevertheless, I was so honored by being asked and the opportunity and, um, yeah, it wasn't it, the, the question of this is it wasn't a judgmental question. Like mm-hmm. that wasn't good enough or, um, yeah, that that was not what I hoped it was, but it was just more of an observation that, huh, you know, the glitter flakes off this moment pretty fast. Um, and I think there's been so many moments in my life like that, you know, when I released this book, um, and, and even before that, when I was writing it, I had to really look at the times I have felt disappointed in my life because celebration naturally lends to the other side of that, which is um, feeling disappointed. And I had to explore that feeling as I wrote this book. And I realized that, yeah, some of the disappointment was about a no or a missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the disappointment I've experienced in my life is because I've expected more joy from the gift than it was meant to give. Yeah. Um, And, you know, what sits at the center of our affection will determine the satiation of our joy. And there's been gifts in this life that are good things. No one would argue that these are good things or that no one would say they're bad things to want or enjoy. But if they become too important, um, if they start to hold our identity or sense of security, Mm -hmm. Uh, then they will disappoint and, and we will, uh, we will feel saddened when we expect more joy from something than it was meant to give versus just enjoying it for what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally, I mean, for me, like that's totally like this podcast, which is probably like a vulnerable thing to share, like while yeah. I'm actually recording this podcast. No, <laughs> but I it's like I appreciate that vulnerability. It's these these are passion projects and they hold so much of our time and energy. And it's so easy for our identity to slip into the success of the project or whatever it might be. Who mm-hmm. who what kind of guests you get to have on or mm-hmm. who says yes, who says no, how many listeners you have, you know, all that stuff. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's like it's so funny because yeah, like a passion project type thing. You start it and you're genuinely just like, I'm just doing this for fun. Uh-huh. And then it turns into like, oh, well, like if I could get this person, if I could have this many listeners, if I could have this many downloads, oh, but if I could just get, oh, but if I could just, and it's like, you keep moving the goalpost, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And then every time you, you know, achieve whatever like mini goal it was, you feel so great. And Mm -hmm. then I love how you say that, like the glitter washes off or whatever you said. And and then you're like, yes. And then you're like, what next? Mm -hmm. You know? And it's just like, I really love that. It's just like, it's not that the podcast wasn't meant to bring me joy and to be, no. like you said, like a passion project and to be mm-hmm. like a challenge and exciting and whatever, but it's not going to fulfill me. Right. And it's not going to make you more you than you already were before. Yeah. 
it's so more special or more valuable, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. Um, you talked a lot about how joy is actually our most vulnerable emotion, mm-hmm. which is so wild to me because <laughs> you, no one would naturally think that. No. Can you tell us about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, I certainly experienced it in my own story, just with what I said at the beginning about it felt easier not to embrace a gift or, or joy um, than to hold something that might break. Yeah. And so joy is the most vulnerable feeling we feel, I would say, because when you hold something, it automatically is accompanied by the possibility of loss. Yeah. Um, and the, Brene Brown talks a lot about this. She calls it foreboding joy. Um, and it's because it's this simultaneous like receiving. And then when you receive, there's the possibility that you can lose. Yeah. Um, and so I found that so fascinating that the research confirms the vulnerability of joy because we think of, you know, quote unquote, negative uh, or painful experiences being more vulnerable and certainly they are. Yeah. Um, but, but we don't often think about joy actually being the most vulnerable feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's so crazy because you would think like if someone just like offhandedly was like, what do you think is the most vulnerable emotion? I'd be like, I don't know, despair, depression, like, you know what I mean? But it's like, no, actually joy because you're scared of losing it. And I think I heard you maybe say in an interview one time, like who hasn't had the experience where they're like, looking at a loved one, like maybe it's like a brand new baby or maybe it's your spouse or whatever. And you're looking at them and you're like, oh my God, like I am so filled with love for you. I could just burst. Like I love you so much. And then like your next thought is, and if something ever happened to you, I would completely fall apart. You know, yep. and it's like, we we do that automatically, right? It's like, ah. I'm so filled with love. I'm so filled with joy. I love my baby or I love my spouse or whatever. And then you're like, oh my gosh, like some, well, something could happen. And we immediately go to that like anxiety place, you know? Yes. No, it's, it's a split second. And I know my biggest memory of that was when my first son was born. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, I'm actually holding you. I, I got to meet you. We made it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and I was rejoicing and, and celebrating and had so much love for him instantly. And then I thought, oh no, you know, what if something happens? What if, yeah. you know, um, and, and those what if questions are so quick to follow um, our moments of celebration. And what helps us tolerate that is the practice of thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, and that's different than gratitude. Gratitude is a beautiful practice. I'm I'm glad we've talked about it a lot in recent years. The research is clear. It does increase our joy, helps us notice and name what is good in our lives. What we don't often talk about is that Thanksgiving actually expressing the, the gratitude that we feel in our heart, whether it's to God in our prayers or to somebody else in our lives, that doubles the joy that you would glean had you simply felt grateful. Wow. Um, so sharing it, um, and you know, this, one of my favorite ways, um, of, uh, engaging with God in the light of my joy is through the practice of Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. uh, because it's our way of celebrating the gift with the giver. And the same is true for interpersonal human relationships, you know, mm-hmm. celebrating the gift that someone is in your life by actually telling them. Yeah. Uh, but that is the best way I have found to tolerate 
the intense vulnerability that can come with joy. So when I'm feeling that standing over my child's crib and watching them sleep or, Mm -hmm. um, having a really fun moment with my husband and, and connecting deeply with him, um, you know, just saying thank you for this mm-hmm. gift. Um, yeah. And, and that usually it kills that fear for me, um, at mm-hmm. least at that moment. It keeps me so present to what mm-hmm. is what is here now um, and, and just so able to embrace the joy of that moment rather than thinking about, well, what if I lose it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. I love that. Did you feel like you had different experiences emotionally with your different pregnancies? Cause I know you said you have three kids. So you had your son and then you had like a little bit of a gap and then two babies back to back. Right. Yeah. Um, yes. They each helped me, I would say with a different piece of this puzzle. Sure. Um, James, my oldest, who's who turned six in February. Um, him was just, uh, he mainly taught me about hope and, and hope actually being a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for me as a person of faith, knowing that hope is a good idea, not because of what I receive, but because of who I receive and in, in mm-hmm. the presence of God um, is with me all the time, no matter what. Mm-hmm. And so I had to learn um that our hope is not so much in the gift itself, but in the giver of that Mm -hmm. gift. Yeah. Um, And then I had three miscarriages in between my two boys. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a, if you read my books, it's a little hard to trace the the facts um, with when the miscarriages happened, but there were three in between the two boys. And I really thought uh, that James was, I hate to say a fluke, a miracle. Sure. Um, yeah. But but that this was not going to happen again. Like yeah. I, I started to see his story as the anomaly. Um, yeah. And and not going to be repeated. And my doctor actually looked at me and said, "There is nothing more I can do for you." Mm-hmm. Um, and it was one of the worst, dis- most despairing days. And I didn't know that I was pregnant with Charlie, my second. <sighs> um, in that, in that doctor's office. Um, so, and, and Charlie, um, and if you met him, he is just stubborn as all get out and he was going to make a way from the the beginning. Um, so just, you know, God's delightful surprise. And, and I had so many ideas of how this was going to work. Um, James was an IVF baby and I still believe God moves through that story. Sure. Um, and, but there was a, a sense of control that I had to release, I think, mm-hmm. um, with Charlie. And then Annie, it was so much easier to trust the pattern than, mm-hmm. than hope for the promise of her. Um, yeah. And I thought, oh, I just have mis- miscarriages between all my kids. That's okay. just how it works for me. Yeah. Um, and so I really didn't expect to get to meet her. I thought, well, this is just one of my miscarriages and maybe I'll have another one down the road, but it's not going to be this one. Yeah. And just God's delightful surprise of allowing me to meet her and mm-hmm. her pregnancy was really scary. I thought I lost her at 12 weeks. Oh, I wow. found out she was a girl the day before. Um, 
and then had a, a massive rupture. Um, that looked, I'll, I'll spare your listeners the details, but it looked oh. horrific. Um, and I thought there's no way like this just sure does not happen. <laughs> Babies don't survive something like this. Yeah. And she was okay. Mm. Um, so just such profound grace in that and yeah. got really a, a picture of God's lavish love. Um, and just feeling like, oh my gosh, this feels like an abundance of riches. And even as I talk, I'm so aware that not everybody's fertility journey yeah. ends like mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I celebrate my kids, you know, if you're listening and that's not your story, I I am so aware of your pain and hold that too and um, pray comfort for you in that place. Yeah. Absolutely. What do you, I know you talk about this in your book, the comparison thing, how it can be very, very hard to celebrate when somebody has what we so desperately want. And I know that you had that experience where one of your best friends was like, I'm pregnant. And you were very much not and wanting to be, you know, and it's like, what, what do you do with that? Like, how do you celebrate when you're looking at someone that so has what you want? Yeah, I think as human beings, we have an easier time um, mourning with those who are who are yes. sad and getting in into that place than we do actually celebrating somebody else's joy, especially when it's a dream that steps on the toes of our own, something mm-hmm. we'd love to have for ourselves. And I really wanted to understand what what does this look like practically because. Yeah. In a lot of circles I stood in, um, and I'm sure I've participated in, in this as well, this unhealthy habit, I think we tend to find a way to feel okay with others' happiness. Yeah. Like, well, they have that, but I have this. Um, and we kind of engage in this. Now, that's why the, the chapter title includes comparison is mm-hmm. because we do tend to kind of posture in a way that helps us accept somebody else's celebration, but doesn't necessarily help us join their celebration. Yeah. Um, and where I landed on this was to celebrate somebody else's dream, there needs to be an active component to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, how can we help prepare this person for the journey or the dream? How can we um, further that dream for them, whether mm-hmm. it's maybe we know somebody that could really help um, and would be a great connection for them, mm-hmm. making that connection. Maybe it's helping them prepare um, or or giving them a lot of encouragement, you know, depending on the situation or what you have to offer. Mm-hmm. Getting your hands dirty um, mm-hmm. is an important component of celebrating somebody else um, because uh, when we just find a way to accept it, A, mm-hmm. it's not changing our hearts. Um, and, and B, it's not really building a bridge in the relationship and helping celebrate their joy. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's what I found. Every single time I have taken that action to help somebody prepare, it changes my heart. It mm-hmm. helps me have more appreciation for what's going on in my life. Like suddenly there's more room more yeah. room for my joy, more room for their joy, um, and more, more acceptance and even excitement that mm-hmm. maybe it looks different. Um, but celebrating somebody else 
is not going to come at the expense of joy in your own life. Um, mm-hmm. It costs you nothing. Yeah. Um, I think when we have a scarcity mentality, we think more joy in other people's lives means less in our own. Yeah. Uh, it just doesn't work like that. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that that's so huge. It's like it does take action, like do something to celebrate this person. And I love that. I love how you also just said a lot of times it's easier to mourn with people than to celebrate with them, which is so sad, but it's so true. And a lot of times that spills over into like our spiritual lives and the way that we think of Jesus. And there's so many times where, and I'm guilty of this, that we if we're going through something like really, really painful, like we're truly suffering, we really feel like Jesus is there with us, like walking through us. We feel like we're leaning on him. It's like a closeness. And Mm -hmm. then sometimes when we're celebrating, we don't necessarily feel that way. I love like what you said in the book that you do an exercise with like your clients sometimes where you say like, Uh where are you in the room and where is Jesus? I Mm -hmm. was like, Oh my gosh, I'm using this. Can you tell us about that? The the, yeah. the room thing? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a great diagnostic question to help us understand our feelings and and maybe how we're feeling in the context of our relationship with God. Um, and I'll do this particularly if it's a I'm working with someone who I know is a person of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I said, picture yourself in a room and picture Jesus entering that room. Where are you in the room and where is Jesus? Um, And I'll usually have people show me with their bodies what their position would be. Um, Mm -hmm. Are you hiding in the corner? Are you uh, standing up, arms outstretched? Um, And then likewise, how, where is God in the context of that feeling for you? Is he staying in the doorway? Mm -hmm. Um, what is his body position? And it just tells us a lot about how we're feeling, Mm -hmm. how we're feeling in the context of our relationship with God. And what was interesting for me, the reason I put it in that chapter is I knew one of the gifts, um, of that painful season Mm -hmm. was I could feel God's breath on my face. Like I, I was so close to him Mm -hmm. And had a totally different relationship with God in that season than I had ever had before. Mm -hmm. And that became so precious to me that I was scared that as I stepped into a different kind of season, that I would lose that closeness that I had with God in Mm -hmm. that place. And I quickly learned um, that, yes, you can engage with God in the light of your joy, he is present and working in your delight, in your celebration. He's participating in your celebration. I had always, I was sad because I I had grown up in the church my whole life and Mm -hmm. had a faith for a really long time. And I was sad that I really didn't have a picture of what it looks like to engage with God deeply in our celebration. Yeah. Um, And so actually the practice of Thanksgiving has been really helpful Mm -hmm. in cultivating that because it is about celebrating the gift with the giver. Yes. And who's the ultimate giver of all gifts? God. Um, And so getting to celebrate things with him has been a really sweet way 
of engaging with him deeply in the light of our joy. Mm, That's so good. How do you think that we could make sure to differentiate this conversation about celebration and it's not the same as like toxic positivity? Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, how is it different? Yeah, no, it's so important to me that um, this book is not a toxically positive book. It is, that is such an unhelpful mm-hmm. perspective. And it's and not but, that way. Like it doesn't read no, that way at all, you. at all. Thank you. Um, I'm glad. Uh, toxic positivity essentially expects joy to cancel the pain. Mm-hmm. So what this might sound like in conversations is, Uh, phrases that start with like, at least, or like, at least you don't, (laughs) Um, or, you know, all those platitudes that sound nice, but really aren't very helpful when, when you're in pain. Like if you've lost a loved one, like they're in a better place or, Mm. you know, the things we do to, that are really more about the, the deliverers, Um, security than they are about being helpful to the recipient. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas joy just trusts God's promises in the midst of pain Mm -hmm. and it can sit with pain together in the same room Mm -hmm. um, and leave lots of room for all those feelings, um, even as it's part of the conversation. And so, um, yeah, joy is completely different than expecting happiness or whatever it is to, um, to cancel what is hard. Mm. I love that. I love that. I could go on for hours. Like truly, (laughs) like there's so, there's so much, like I've loved this. Um, everybody get the book. Like really there's, there's more in there. There's, there's so much. So if people are just loving this conversation, want more from you, where can we find you online? Where can we get the book? Yes, uh, you can buy the book anywhere you like to buy books. Certainly Amazon has it or your local bookstore can order it for you if they don't have it. Um, and connect with me online at uh, my website, Nicole Zazowski, Z-A-S-O-W-S-K-I.com. And there's actually a ton of free goodies and re, uh, resources uh, related to the book that you can download there. Um, and then on Instagram, that's where I hang out the most social media wise. Um, I'm just at Nicole Zazowski there. Amazing. I love it. Listen, we always end by asking our guests, what's your favorite snack right now? Oh, great question. (laughs) I mean, this time of year, I love like the blueberries and the strawberries and all the stuff that isn't as good year round up up here in the Northeast. Totally. All the, the fresh farmer's market stuff. Oh, totally. It's so true. You know, it's so funny. Like my, um, I was meeting with like a dietitian for a while and she kept saying like, you don't like really eat that much fruit. Like you don't have that much fruit. And I'm like, in the winter, I can't, yeah. like, I don't want it. Yeah. It's just not that good, you know? Yeah. But then come spring, I'm like, that's all I want. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, it's so, it's just so delicious. Yes. I yes. love it. I love it. Nicole, thank you so much for your time today. Like this was so rich, this conversation. Like I'm going to probably listen to this episode twice. Like just like there's so, there's so much good stuff. I just appreciate it so much. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CaitlinElliott.com or wherever you get your podcasts. 
And hey, if you want to toss us a five-star rating, I would love you forever. Check us out next week for another new episode. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at so.what.else. Editing and all that stuff by Matt Carpenter with Parable Productions. <laughs>